Hello and welcome to CMO Combo, the show from CMO Labs where we talk about the big issues you need to know about as a CMO. We're back with Jeff Coyle, CSO and co-founder of Market News, and this time we're jumping into the big world of AI, especially how it can break open silos and elevate the marketing function across your entire organization. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? Hi, Will. How are you? Uh, doing great. Uh, it's been a busy morning already, and it seems like it should be, you know, 5 p.m., but it's not. Uh, but it's going to be a fun discussion. I look forward to talking to you. Definitely, definitely. It's, it's, it's going to be a really, really interesting discussion as well, because, I mean, AI, we're all hearing about how it can benefit, benefit marketing and marketing strategies and stuff. But I'm interested to see this kind of concept of being a silo breaker. So allowing the CMOs to be more engaged with the rest of the company using AI, rest of the organization. Uh, but before we get into that, Jeff, um, I know you gave us a great intro in, um, in the last episode you appeared on. I, I recommend checking out, by the way. Um, it's about SEO and search bots. Very, very fascinating episode. Uh, but before we get into the meat of today's episode, maybe you could uh, go a bit into why you, your background meant that you wanted to speak about this topic today like what what is it about like your role that means that you want to talk about this oh yeah sure so um you know my background i've been in the content strategy lead generation um can it, basically anything that now kind of would be under the umbrella of inbound marketing or you know whether it's paid ab multivariate testing uh you know data analytics community social you know every everything that can yield you know traffic for your site I've likely worked within it or managed it at, at a team. And now with creating Market Muse, we're focused heavily on that content intelligence component. So how do we use data to make decisions about what we create and what we update? So that's where, where the CMO's you know, priorities need to be. How do we make these business cases internally for the investment in content? How do we make the investment, you know, those investment decisions easier? How do we make them more predictive? Uh, and I always look at with artificial intelligence, the maturity curve is going from thinking that, you know, things are based on rules and we'll get into that in more detail, uh, that there's not an opportunity for predictive outcomes to realizing that everything can have, everything can be, these decisions can be made more predictively. And it's not just about AB split tests. It's about really, really getting into the details about what data do we have, whether it's existing, whether it's market data, how can we use that information wisely to then be able to make better decisions as an organization? And when a, a C, the reason why it's, it's so, I'm so passionate about this is because of the different types of products that I've either created or managed in the lead generation space, you know, websites, um, traffic optimization, conversion rate optimization, um, lead nurturing, lead qualification, you know, uh, all the way to now with content intelligence. Um, it gets into where, uh, you know, the money's made in marketing. Um, and the cool thing that that brings to organizations from a, from a silo breaking functionality is we can all get aligned around the KPIs. We don't necessarily have to agree on one, right? So that's another thing we'll talk about. Um, but we can all get aligned on the value that each of our teams brings to the organization um, versus us all running against our own KPIs without that collaborative opportunity. And when we all do that, teams grow. I mean, it's just what I see every single day 
Uh, it's the solutions in the market I'm most excited about are the ones that something that people didn't think was possible or predictable is now predictive. Um, and that's the, that's the mental break. Like, and that's internally how you can advocate for these types of solutions is to say, no one thought, everybody always thought that this would be a loser or it wasn't a fit for us, or we would have a you know, 90% waste in the system, uh, or it's, we haven't changed this rule internally in five years. Um, that's the stuff I look for you know, when I'm talking about this type of topic. Fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very interested to dig into this because yeah, AI, it's something that we hear about so much in marketing and how it's going to revolutionize things. I'm really excited to explore this with you, Jeff, definitely. Um, but before we do get into the AI side of things, let, let's talk about silos, uh, specifically why they're a problem in a marketing context. It's, it's something we hear about all the time. That it's a bit of a buzzword, like we're being siloed or we're breaking out the silos and stuff like that. But what, what do we actually mean when we're talking about silos in the marketing context? You know, um, <laughs> I like to look at this in two different ways. Um, one is the known issues, right? And one's the unknowns. Um, and silos, I think they create a healthy stream of both um, in that, you know, the, un, the, the hidden ones are related to more like psychological or uh, you know, kind of mental states that people can get in when they're siloed uh, in organization. When, when what I mean by that is they're, they don't feel empowered to make business decisions outside of their own group. And they don't feel like that they can have as much of an impact on the business as they could possibly. So they feel stunted. They also feel like they're not able to communicate that in a way that makes sense for them. And that's, those are the feelings somebody has inside a silo. So imagine you're on a um, content team uh, who only gets to touch the blog. Very common dynamic, right? Okay, but I know that the entire site works as a unit, maybe even a network of sites, maybe five sites that we own as our business. And I know that I can only impact the business X, but if I had the ability to be part of the larger organization and bring innovative ideas, bring integrative ideals, ideas and, and conceptual wins, I know that my abilities could yield massive outcomes for the business. But because of the way our business works, because our org structured in some way, I'm only allowed to kind of touch these pages and give ideas for these pages. But what a, a, a symptom of a silo in that situation might be, yeah, but if someone from uh, the mothership, someone from central org says, I don't like this, or uh, maybe we should focus more on X topic instead of Y, that hippo, highest paid uh, prioritization metric, you know, highest paid person in the room, you know, can influence what I do non-strategically. And, who, and now because I'm in this type of um, kind of, I'm not influencing as well as I can, but I can be influenced on a whim. The toxicity that that creates is traumatic. It's traumatic for teams. So that's one piece of it. Um, the other one is often the symptom and the situation in the silos is they have their own KPI. I am measured against traffic to the blog or I am measured against 
some other dynamic, right? Leads generated that go from MQL to SQL, whatever the, <laughs> whatever the funnel is that you get. And that's it, right? So it's however I do it, I get a pool of money and I turn it into SALs or, or SQLs or SQLs or PWALs, whatever your acronym of the day is, right? Um, I don't really care about much else, okay? I'm not thinking big picture. I'm not thinking of the fact that my paid budget, my PPC budget actually impacts organic because click-through rates change on the words that we're co-buying and also publishing against. Um, I'm not thinking about it as, um, I, in order to be there at the bottom of the funnel to get leads, I need to show them that I actually have expertise at the top of the funnel. But that initiative is done by content marketing, right? <laughs> I'm demand gen, right? So, um, so basically, you're not allowed to perform well at the bottom of the funnel if you haven't been there in the top of the funnel. You're also not allowed to perform at the bottom of the funnel if you don't have post-purchase content. That might be managed by your customer success team. That might be managed by support. That might be managed by, you know, someone who doesn't even work at your company. Um, so those people, you know, post-sale documentation, customer content on the, on the marketing side, oftentimes very siloed from lead gen, lead management, lead nurturing. You may have an SDR team or a, or a, a BDR team who has no idea what's going on in the marketing organization. They can even have a feedback loop. So a lot of times what you see is uh, information transfer is stunted for one reason or another. Um, KPIs are different. And then empowerment can happen. Empowerment can't happen outside of their group, but they can be influenced from the top down. And that brings the feeling of uh, a lack of um, a lack of advocacy for the organization. And so a great signal for this, I always love to say this is how frequently do your if you're a CM, how frequently do your uh, social media posts get amplified by your internal organization or naturally, right? Um, how many people work at your company? What's your average like rate on LinkedIn posts? Uh, this is usually a signal of siloing. This is usually a signal of a problematic employee advocacy situation. Like I've got a hundred employees, okay? My average uh, LinkedIn likes is eight. Okay, if this is you, you got this problem, right? Okay, uh, and, and, and so there's other situations like that, right? There's other things like symptoms of this. My demand gen team doesn't think I should write early stage awareness content, right? Why? Doesn't generate leads, right? Okay, uh, that's a huge signal. Um, my CEO doesn't, appreciate the traffic that goes to the support section of our website, the forums, the UGC, you got a problem. So there's a bunch of these signals that come out that say, oh, wow, like there's, there's people that don't get what each other is doing and the value that those people bring. That's why, you know, dovetailing that back, that's why artificial intelligence is so, so interesting because everybody can bring what they care about to the party. And we can figure out how to make composite evaluations of the business, whatever that metric is. Um, and so we don't have to get unified necessarily around one KPI. We can get unified 
against a composite vision for the business. Um, it's just one application of AI, right? It's, this is very high level, um, but when you tune this fork, when you sharpen this knife against one function and feature, it starts to click for people. Um, and I'd love to, gi I'll give some examples of that a little bit later, but yeah, so that's, that's my definition of silos. It gets a little bit like I'm, you know, on a psychiatric couch sometimes <laughs> when I talk about this stuff, but it's true. And usually I'm the person laying on the couch. I'm never the person standing there giving the advice, right? Uh, I'm laying on the couch, hoping for advice um, because this stuff hurts. Um, and it also discourages people from exploring their hunches. And frankly, that's what you pay people for. If they're only, if they feel bound by data, if they feel bound only by data, maybe they're spending all of their time doing monotonous manual labor or monotonous manual research. I want those people thinking. The brain, the human brain is the only additional value that you can get from your team or from yourself. Giving yourself more time to think critically and to be, you know, uh, uh, creative. Um, that's when teams start working, frankly. And when they're stuck on process stuff, manual stuff, they feel beat down. They feel like they can't influence the organization. They're frustrated as all get out for one reason or another. Usually silos are to blame. For sure, yeah. Wow. I, I almost want to end the episode there because that was like, there are going to be many, many marketers who are suddenly like, oh, I need to go stare in the mirror. I'm in a silo. Like, uh, that's yeah. me. That is, that, that is me for sure. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, and it, it sounds like it's it's not just a problem now. It's going to be a problem in the future if we allow this to continue. Like it's going to impact the development of how marketers develop their skills. They're going to try to fit towards what pleases people who are making the orders from the top down towards the silo rather than actually being creative. Uh, oh, yeah. It's going to have an impact on how marketing teams are structured. It's going to have an impact on the types of CMOs who are even reaching the C-suite. It's going to be those types of people who work within the silo rather than impacting the broader business so any kind of tools that are going to help us break out these silos is going to be very very useful which is why this conversation is so important today for sure yeah you know it it is yeah i mean you you've hit on so many other pieces uh i also will bring a little bit of a, a wild card and this is, sounds a little trite because a lot of people talk about this um <laughs> but it really has an influence too it's um the structure of your organization um, but also your type of organization um, with how well are you adapting to hybrid or remote work? Um, there's, there's, there's poorly adapted uh, corporations where um, people that work on particular, top, particular our parts of the business don't ever interact with other groups. And the remote work dynamic, if not implemented extremely well, um, can even more put people on islands much quicker. Um, it can put people on islands uh, for, from so many different perspectives. Um, so it's also an examination of, of, of that. I mean, a good signal of that is if you were to receive a mandate from maybe two levels up in, within your organization, um, how empowered would you be to respond to that versus just complying? Um, and that is a really usually a good signal of, uh, of an adaptation to remote work or that you have that type of situation. But remote work amplifies um, teams that have more silo, more siloing. 
it can make that even worse. And that's super, super scary for some people. They're like, oh my gosh, like I was already on an island, but at least I could kind of go walk over to this person's office and like yuck it up about, you know, I'm speaking about myself, about music or hockey or beer. And, you know, I, I'm reconnected with Jeff like in four seconds, right? Um, but I don't really necessarily have that opportunity. It feels weird for me to slack my CSO um, and be like, hey, had any good beers lately? Think about that. Think about how weird that is, right? I mean, but, 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 but you've got to bring that or else this is going to get lost, right? And I'm coming from, an, and by the way, I worked at many organizations. Even Market Muse has challenges like this every day. And I'm very reflective on it. They make me ill whenever I see it. When I feel someone, when I feel someone's pain, when I feel someone's um, frustrations, frustrations, not only just frustrations with me, which by the way, a lot of people have, because you know, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm tough. I'm, I'm tough on people. I, I push, I push. I, I make, I try to get the best out of people. And sometimes I have a heavy hand. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not really apologetic about it. I want, I want the best. I need, you know, the best has to come. And, 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 you know, sometimes I'm tough on, tough on folks. Um, so sometimes I'm the problem, right? But when everybody's got to realize when they are, and a lot of times it comes to people, an individual contributor or management team, not feeling like they can influence the business the way they want to, right? And a lot of that sadly goes to poor structures, poor communications, as well as KPIs. Um, and that's where, um, you know, and I've got some great examples. Can I get into some cool examples of this? Let's dive into some examples, right. Jeff. I can see you're so, eager, to, eager to get talking about them. I want to hear about them as well. One of, one of these I like to say is what you should do, not just look in the mirror and see how pretty you are and how you, you feel the pain here, is think about all the teams. Really, really examine all your subgroups, all your projects, and document all your manual processes. Even if it's a little manual process, even if it's, you know, or situations where um, at least at the C-suite level or maybe the director or above, depending on your structure, where there's information shared with the organization that doesn't make it to all groups. It's not about radical transparency. It's about access to information, proactive access to information required. What does that mean? It means that I have to go look for something to find it. It's not just part of the information that I have. I know that's a little bit esoteric, but let's just say someone on product can't see um, the level of lead activity happening against people who are going to buy the product they're creating. Okay, there's a great example, right? Why? How do we fix that? What manual processes would have to be in place, right? So documenting all the places where information isn't being shared, documenting all the manual processes. Then the third piece, <coughs> sorry, I've got this weird <clears throat> allergies uh, are just blowing up in Florida right now. Um, all the flowers all out on all the trees, um, citrus flowers everywhere. It's beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Um, and so, um, so now we get into, so we said manual, we said information distribution mm -hmm. is a problem. The third piece is rules, all right? When I say rules, I think what business decisions are being made based on 
if-then statements. I know this is the nerdiest way to look at this, but one great example of this that I love to talk about a lot is lead qualification. All right. Mm-hmm. CMOs, take a deep breath, right? <laughs> How do you define your ICP? Who made that decision? Is it based on demographic criteria only? How do you know that criteria is right? How do you evaluate that, right? Would everybody agree with that, right? Would everybody agree that's your actual ICP or is it just good enough or just those are the fields we have in our CRM or is it, oh, that's the data we have, right? How often are you revising that metric, right? you even have a customer who matches the ICP as well? Like, do you have, do you have ones that person? don't? Do you have ones that don't? Are they thriving? Why are they thriving? So this is a common business decision. <clears throat> and this is one that really, I believe, brings together teams. Um, and it's why I feel very strongly that predictive lead qualification is one, of, is one of the core, most awesome applications of artificial intelligence. A business a company... Uh, uh, there's a number of people getting into this. I know a Salesforce Einstein is trying to build some things on this. Um, but one of them I love is called Mad Kudu, M-A-D-K-U-D-U. I'm a customer of theirs um, as well. And what they are enable you to do, and think about this as a silo breaker, right? What inputs would you bring if you were coming from each group? Let's just talk about this, real talk, right? Mm-hmm. Customer success. Uh, we run playbooks, we have onboarding, we have playbooking, we have, maybe we have red account processes, we have renewal dynamic, we have churn, we have upsell, cross-sell, we have land and expand uh, certification processes, so augmented playbooks. Now, we want to bring all of that information to the table so that we can tell you who the best customers were, right? Yeah, cool. Sales, we want to tell you where the best conversations happen, the uh, deal sizes, the deal velocity, um, the frequency of, unqual- of, of, um, of losers, you know, ones that just closed loss, ones that wasted our time. Maybe they wasted sales engineering's time. Maybe they wasted sales time. They want to bring that ta- information to the table, right? Customer support wants to bring their information to the table. Product has product usage data to tell you all that. You see where I'm going with that? That's, that's a your, lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah. Your yeah. if then statement on their number of employees ain't getting it done. <laughs> okay. And that is a CMO's typical implementation of lead qual is are they, what G, geo are they in? Size of business, uh, money raised, annual revenue, ain't getting it done. So those people feel alienated. Uh, how does that manifest? Poor sales enablement processes, uh, poor CRM adoption, um, customer success team feeling like you're selling bad deals, um, customer support wasting time. Um, you know, it can manifest in renewal rates bad, churn rates high. It can manifest in so many different ways. So, what artificial intelligence can allow for you to do in this dynamic is hey, bring all your data, bring all your CRM data, bring all your sales activity data whether you use a gong or whether you use a, hey, um, marketing, bring your demographic data, but also the people that manage the website, bring all their user behavior data, all that. And we'll see how that actually all contributes to 
revenue and bottom line and renewal and conversion. And then we train artificial intelligence models and machine learning models to predict whether this person is exhibiting the signals of what will actually be a successful customer. It might not be cut and dry. The elimination of the if-then statement brings teams together. And that's a brain breaker. I'm, I'm thinking about coining that phrase. The elimination of the if-then statement brings teams together because of why. It stops being so black and white. The cool thing about artificial intelligence for marketing organizations is the thing that isn't black and white, but you've been going on the, uh, you've been going black and white on it. You can make it gray and gray can be okay. Um, and gray can be okay. That's a good one too. Um, but no, yeah, right. And, and why? Because we actually are confident in the data. I implement this with a lead score that uses both demographic as well as um, behavioral data and exhibitions of intent. Right. So now what happens? Salesperson feels like I'm more confident in that number. That because it's not just like, oh, yeah, they work at a B2B tech company who's 50 people and has 150 million in revenue. But I might be like, I might be talking to, you know, some person that's like, uh, what do we let do content? I have no idea what content <laughs> is. Right. Um, but I'm also looking at the fact that this person did a lot of stuff, right? So intent data is, is a big thing. And, it, and also your behavioral data, how does that exhibit the signal? So what can you learn? This is just one example, but there's other ones too that I'll just highlight. Conversion rate optimization, uh, big, big dynamic here. Uh, typically the difference between a company being successful and not successful is their understanding of CRO throughout the buy cycle. Um, product, whether you're product led or not. I would say, you know, whether you have a PLG hybrid or you're completely sales led, it's all about conversion rate optimization. And that can be modified with AI. Um, but then your individual teams too. The cool thing about this is the metric today that you're being measured by doesn't have to be the only source of data, right? And that, just take a stop, take a breath there, right? The data we use to make decisions about, you know, in this case, lead qualification or messaging or email copy or email segmentation or um, demographic-based uh, pre-sales product experiences. The data we used isn't only within our confines. And that's where people lose it. They're like, oh, wow, so I'm using product data to make marketing decisions. Yes, you must. I'm using accounting data. What if everybody of a particular pro, what if there was a profile out there that you knew, and let's say you're on an invoice-based system, that you knew that profile of person typically buys the product but flakes on payments more frequently, right? Imagine if you knew that. You know, so those are the types of things you, you don't even realize that you possibly can figure out. Maybe you make a business decision based on that. And that's what we bring to um, at MarketMuse. Here, a great example of that. B2B technology company says, our mandate from above, I need 30% more leads to each of these two product lines. Okay, cool. To do that for the one product line, you need to create 180 articles 
and update 60 this year. We're very confident in that number. The other product line, you only need to update 30 pages and write 30 new pages. We're confident that that's going to bring 30% increases. Then they go into the leadership meeting. I say, well, for product X and that topic, we need to write 180 articles and update 60, whatever I said. The other one, 30 and 30. How much does each article cost, Joey? Um, well, the type of stuff we'd have to build is really expensive. So let's just average a couple thousand dollars, 2,000 bucks. Okay, focus on that other, pro focus on the easy one. <laughs> let's figure out that other one next year. Imagine bringing that to the table with your content decision-making, your budget decision-making with confidence. What happens on most teams with that happens, right? I got a hundred grand. Let's put 50 on product A and 50 on product B. See what happens. That's most teams. Yeah. What I just described is using artificial intelligence to make business decisions. And think about the output of that. Think about the opportunity cost that happens when you cut that budget down the line in that dynamic. And think about the waste you've created. Think about the people who worked on product two, wrote all that content, and then it didn't succeed. And there is a why out there. You just didn't know it. So you just wasted an, a year of time, 50 grand, whatever the number is. It should be a lot more, obviously. But 50 grand, all the time of all the people who worked on that. And then they all feel really crappy because they published this stuff. And then they looked at their watch and they're like, when's this thing going to start increasing leads? It didn't. Then the other one, the leads are going up. Now what happens? Right? Now you're playing results. They like to say that in cards, you play in results, right? And what that means is you're going back and you're looking at the lottery numbers and you're like, man, I should have played those numbers, Yeah, right? And playing results is such a big mistake in marketing, uh, in, in that dynamic. And, and, and it's a um, uh, something that you shouldn't do in life. Uh, but a lot of people, they get hung up in that. It's, we should have made better decisions before, we started to expend energy and that's where the real money's made for CMOs. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, the applications are pretty much endless when it comes to AI in terms of breaking open these silos and, and expanding the capabilities of marketing uh, in terms of personalization, in terms of attribution. I'm sure there's yes. a lot of CMOs who are really keen to see ways they can attribute like things they haven't been able to previously. Like you'd be able to, like with a, with a proper AI model, you'd be able to attribute, brand marketing and yes. brand activities you'd be able to show like how what is the long-term benefits of brand activities and stuff like that in ways they haven't been able to previously which is going to give them a more confident voice to push those forwards in the uh, on the c-suite and the, around the leadership table if they've been haven't haven't been told the mandate is demand gen demand gen demand gen if they can come along with this model and say hey if we start investing in brand now this is where we could be in a few years this is what this very, very sophisticated piece of tech is telling us, then that gives them a lot more leverage to get those kinds of things through. Which um, on the nose, I mean, yeah. it, 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 the, the symptom of that, and I'll, and I'll, but symptom of that is you believe that there are marketing channels that aren't a fit for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, that's why you're not doing them. And you do the stuff only that's closest to the money. Um, and if, when, when those two things are happening within your org, your gosh what's the uh the marketing phrase um you're creating a local maximum and a local maximum means that you're creating your own effectively ceiling um and 
your limit there's it's not the true definition but the easiest definition of it is uh, to take away is you're creating a ceiling for yourself yeah because you're only reaching a certain audience with a, the certain tactics that you're using and yep. ai I think we kind of had this idea in our head that AI was going to take away the creativity from marketing. It's going to take away a lot of the options out there. It's going to tell us that we have to do certain things. What it's actually going to do is open up the possibilities for us. Like, mm -hmm. It's going to give us the models and the tactics. Well, not the, they're not the specific tactics, but the, the approaches that we should be taking to engage with new channels and be more creative on new channels. Like, like if you're in a B2B space, Maybe you're not interested in marketing on TikTok at the moment because you think it's just full of Gen Zers who aren't ready to buy, who aren't going to be B2B buyers and stuff. But if you don't have the time to go and do research on the demographics, you'll have missed out on the fact that 50% of Gen Z have said they want to be entrepreneurs. They're founding businesses on that, on, that, on that platform. B2B businesses should be marketing to them. And AI can tell you where those people are. And AI would have told you that. You don't have to go out and do that research. It, the... the job then is for then you to work out okay they're on tiktok what do i do then ai doesn't do the marketing for you it tells you where you should be marketing right who you should be marketing to the legwork is still down to you as the cmo as a marketer at the end of the day right and you know write down if you're in this role I'm, i love your example why you hesitate to recommend improvements to an existing channel or entering a new channel write down why internally a lot of times it's well ceo won't go for it or i don't know how to justify the roi or you know we don't have confidence we don't have abil those abilities like get into it like be be aware of where you are afraid today or don't have the confidence you know if you don't want to use the word afraid but, you know, the, the example there might be like you use the word TikTok. I'm I'm worried about adding another channel because it will have management, you know, load and I just don't have the resources to do it. OK, why should that limit you from doing an exploration of potential return on investment? Uh Oh, how often is that happening for you? You've got to allocate time for yourself to see what's out there. Partner relationship management. Great example there gosh, we have all these partners, we're not getting a lot out of them. We don't have resources dedicated to it. Um, or, you know, kind of user generated channels, community channels, community management, certain social channels. Commonly, we have to make the decision, how many plates do we want to spin? But that often limits us from exploring potential return on investment of those channels. And what we basically do is we say, Someone needs to really get behind this and sell it internally in order for us to do it. Well, no one's going to just do that. If there's unhealthy silos and there's a risk that the failure of that channel could be bad for them professionally. All right. So not giving someone time to explore a channel, not empowering failure in exploration with potential return on investment. It sounds so funny to be talking about a, a, a you know some a thing that you're missing. Everybody is empower <laughs> failure, right? I'm guilty of this too. I, I, I'm guilty of people going, "Hey, we should do this." Oh man, I don't know if we have the resources for that. Or I'm guilty of some me, you know, coming out and saying, "We should definitely do this." And it's like, why? 
have you done the return on investment analysis? You know, no, I just think we should, right? Because uh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to fail, right? I'm not afraid to, to uh, get into it. But, you know, the, the difference is you've got to understand your organization to understand who's empowered to make those assertions. What data they have to bring to the table is the data they bring to the table, does it make it stunted? It, 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 it stunts innovation. Um, and why? You know, just get into it. Why haven't you changed that process in two years? Um, and when the answer becomes because we're slow here or we're not as fast moving and nimble, all that means is you're gonna, your company is going to lose in the long term. Uh, somebody's going to, somebody faster, better, going to come along and chop down your tree. Um, and, uh, you know, then you just got to ask yourself, how much do you really care about this job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, you, you mentioned hockey and there's a, there's a great quote. It's one of my favorite quotes from, uh, from Wayne Gretzky. And it's, you, you miss every shot that you don't take. And it sounds like AI allows you to take more shots. It allows you, it tells you, it allows you to make better, more, more informed shots as well. So there's yep. the shots that are more like, you'll know that these shots are more likely to go, go in. So you're going to take the shot. Um, it's not a guarantee that that shot's going to go in, but if you've got some kind of calculator on your hockey stick to, to run with this metaphor, um, telling you you have a 60% chance of taking that shot, I'd probably take that shot at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're just doing it blindly and your brain's trying to work out and it's saying, oh, I don't know, a, uh, maybe we can get this, you're less likely, you're more hesitant to do it. But if you've got some kind of tool giving you that, that extra edge, that extra information, then you'll be more willing to be more creative, be more exciting with the shots you're taking. I'm, I'm running a bit far with this hockey metaphor. I love the metaphor. That's why they call him the great one. Um, and he also said, my other favorite uh, Wayne Gretzky quote, uh, also uh, X-Ranger, um, uh, which is a good thing for me, is you know I, he, he skates where the puck's going to be, uh, not where yes. it's been. Not where it's been. Let's talk about that now. Yeah. Let's so, stuff. Wayne Gretzky was just like talking about AI and he didn't realize it <laughs> 20 years ago. We need to, you need to get, get him on this, get him on this show. I think that would be pretty cool. That would um, be awesome. That'd be very cool. that one. <laughs> kind of a fan. Um, but yes, the, uh, no, it, it is, it, it's about that predictive dynamic. Um, the best players predict outcomes, right? Um, and, you know, what I see a lot, especially in content. You know, I was having, a, I had a webinar with a um, creative director, um, which is awesome. You can go check it out on marketmuse.com. The webinars tab, you can go look at all my, my personal webinars. Um, I, and we were talking about the fact that you may have all the strategy right. You may publish content that fits, but in the end, you still have to be very critical about how exciting and engaging it is too. So you may put your process in place and check them all off. Then you go, like, there's still a little bit of love needed to fulfill that subjective, um, you know, expertise. You got to give people, you got to empower them with artificial intelligence to not have to do the manual labor and to give them more confidence so that they can operate in the hunch, the creative, the innovative space in most of their jobs. And they're going to love you for it. A great example of this in content is where you just published a cluster of content, let's just say. It's all about, uh, you know, X topic, whatever the topic it may be, coffee cups, right? Well, cool, we got it all done. 
hooray, we got it all done. And I went and read it, it's kind of boring, <laughs> right? It's just not engaging. We got it done. Um, but what that's typically going to be is a situation where you didn't give those people enough people who were part of that operations perspective. They executed it. It may grow in traffic. You didn't give them enough time to add excitement, expertise, uh, engagement layers that they should have had more time to focus on. And that's stuff that can't be necessarily um, automated. So by going through the process we've discussed, manual processes, information share, uh, rule-based processes that haven't changed, by fixing all that, what the outcome is that your creative writer actually gets to be creative. Let your writers write. Let your demand gen people add a new channel and see how it works. You know, by getting uh, off of the kind of the drug of manual labor, uh, which it is, by the way, it's a drug. It makes people feel like they're, they have a job. It makes people feel like they have job security because it's a process only they can do. Um, and when you get people off of that manual labor drug or that if then drug, um, you can really put people in a space where they can operate innovatively. Excellent. Excellent. So this, uh, this all sounds great. I'm sure many of our audience are, are sold at this point. What are the actual practicalities of bringing AI into, into the business? Cause it, it's not just in, within the marketing department. It's a, it's a business-wide thing. So that sounds, that sounds pretty expensive and I'm sure CMOs are going to have to try and justify those costs. Like do, do they need to upgrade all their hardware? Like what, what needs to be done to, to start utilizing AI? You know, it, it depends on how much they're going to take in-house um, and what, um, the value of the metric that they're looking to influence, the value of the things that they're going to influence, I'll go into it. So are you going to house all of this information? Are you going to, but you know, storage is pretty, pretty, um, pretty cheap these days, yeah. but you do have pe need people to know how it works, how to store any of this information. Um, but you certainly need to understand what data warehousing you currently have, um, do all the business systems that you use daily all the time. Are they talking to one another already? Is there going to be overhead in getting all the data? <clears throat> like imagine <clears throat> you need, you have an outside consultant coming in to manually collect all the data that one would need to focus on this project. Like hypothetically go through that and go through the exercise of that. So a lot of times businesses have all the information, they have all the data. It's just not easily accessible, easy to round up, right? Um, but the cool thing about that is selling that vision to somebody who doesn't understand AI is great. Yeah, uh, we have all this data in disparate places. Part of us actually implementing here is gonna actually also make all that data more accessible. Or we're going to then have insights to be able to be gleaned from this information, right? That's the kind of business organizational uh, process. I recommend, I always recommend, uh, you know, depending on your organization, how sophisticated they are, how much they've implemented, consider a pilot um, opportunity. Um, consider, depending on the sub-segment, consider hiring an individual expert or a small consultancy who really gets this um, and has an experience doing a project just like the one that you want to initiate. But also go read those consultancy sites. 
Um, one, uh, I was just talking to somebody from a, a company called Pandata. They're a, a regional, um, uh, they're a company who focuses on specific AI um, projects. Go look at their case studies. It's like, oh yeah, we could use that. Oh yeah, we could use that. So go like collect the list of here's how AI could influence our business. This is the project I think would have the biggest impact on us right now, but here's all the things we're missing. Here's where we likely have to level up. There's also third-party scenarios where you're just buying, um, you know, a software product that doesn't require a lot of integration, but it's leveraging the power of or utilizing a, a AI in its value that it's bringing. Um, but just realize the difference between um, is it bringing in your data and using that to influence, or is it bringing in third-party data that's giving you insights that then you have to make decisions about um, hardware upgrades, that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to, it's going to depend on how you're exist. If you're still on physical hardware because of security reasons or otherwise access to that information, you may need to implement, you know, cloud-based solutions um, as part of this. There's some overhead there. If you already have everything in, in there, you may need something, but it's really just access to the data um, are you comfortable operating with open source and modifying open source? Um, do you, based on your use case, do you need to, you know, buy commercial solutions? Do you have people that are capable of uh, that type of code development? Do you need outside consultants? All of those things are going to, but what I'd recommend is start with the use case, start with one of the things that people understand, you know, you're not um, you know, you're not teaching people why this is successful internally. Don't move a mountain with your first project like this. Um, I'll give you an example, uh, two examples. One, content efficiency, near and dear to my heart. How much content do we publish? How much content do we update? How frequently are those content items successful? Average team, about 10%. Okay, why is that important if you're a CMO? How much does content cost? I don't know, $500. Okay. Only 10% of our content is successful. Now, how much content, how much does content cost? Uh-oh, $5,000, right? Now, so that's a great example. Everybody gets that. Okay. We, on average, and by the way, make sure you're all in on your costs, all your people's time, all your headcount versus uh, that stuff. 500 is not realistic. I hear people say that content costs hundred dollars a page. I laugh at them. I'm like, okay, where, where are they getting that? Like what? <laughs> it's be, you know, here's why. Cause they go to an outsourcer, they get content written. It costs that much money. And they believe that that's the loaded cost of content. Mm -hmm. Trust me. That's, and now get into efficiency, get into integrations, get into other things. Um, so the, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention on another example of a, something that is commonly influential, influential um, is, you know, data points that relate to uh, conversion metrics, actual revenue, um, go in recognizing that not everybody's going to um, immediately believe that AI is the solution, um, but make sure that they understand the value of moving the needle with that data point. So wouldn't it be great if this number went down 5%. Is everybody, would everybody get a line that there's, this would be an out, a, a, a win for us. Do that first, 
then go to pilot or purchase software, make a commitment to a year, two years. Don't back, don't back away from it. Take the plunge. Um, because a lot of these solutions, you know, are going to require, you know, some months of digging around for data. Um, or if you only do them for like a few months, it's not enough time to give you, to give you real impacts. Um, and you got to have somebody who's an internal champion uh, to get them done. Uh, but as far as like physical purchases, it, it, you know, you hate to say it depends, but it depends on the scale scope and your current level of maturity. I like to say, um, get people pumped about the outcome um, first, and then backpedal to the how. Um, and that's you know, it's called aspirational modeling. If you wanna, if you wanna, <laughs> wouldn't it be great if every article you wrote, you know, ranked well in organic search as good as it could be, and you know, your traffic doubled by this time next year? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now let's talk about how we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> great approach. Great approach. Yeah. Certainly. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that, this all sounds great, Jeff. Um, really, really exciting stuff. And I think the future is, yeah, the sky is the limit when it comes to how much AI, AI can help out CMOs. Um, and especially with the negative impacts, if we don't start tackling those issues, right. as we talked about with the silos and stuff, like this is a problem that is going to affect generations of marketers potentially and so any tools we can take any steps that we can take to to tackle that is going to be very important to yeah. not just the people listening to this episode but to marketing industry as a whole like it's not just going to be affecting cmos it's going to affect us all um so thank you very much for covering this today jeff i've really enjoyed this guy this discussion it's been, it's been awesome um, really really interesting stuff i'm sure our audience has found it useful as well and um, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back soon with more cmo combos Thank you.